More stimulating talk radio. MileHighRadio.com Thank you for being a friend Travel down a road and back again Your heart is true You're a pal and a confidant Good morning, good morning, everyone. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. And with me today is an absolutely fabulous guest. Um, so welcome to the program, Vanessa DeMauro. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure Wait. to be here. Great. Well, thank you, Vanessa, for coming on. And before we get started, let me tell people a little bit about you. Vanessa is the CEO of Leader Networks, which helps organizations succeed at social business strategy and operations. She is an internationally recognized independent thought leader on social business strategy and operations with a specialty in B2B online community. Vanessa helps organizations drive top-line growth through innovative digital strategy and thoughtful execution. Her work has been covered by many publications, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and CIO Magazine, and she was recently named one of the top 40 social marketing masters worldwide by Forbes Magazine. So again, welcome, Vanessa. How are you doing today? Very well. And you? Oh, fabulous, fabulous, down here in Atlanta. Um, and before we really jump into what I want to talk about, Vanessa is one of those people that I have never met in real life. We've only ever met online. And I always want to emphasize that to people because social media is such a great way to make connections with people. And the way I introduced myself to Vanessa was via LinkedIn. And I saw that she had made that uh, prestigious list by Forbes. I sent her a request to connect on LinkedIn. And I said, you know, I saw that and I see that you are one of the social media people that I really need to connect with. And then Vanessa connected. And the rest is, as we say, history. So, you know, let's just jump in, Vanessa, because... What I want to talk about is the fact that you really emphasize using social media for B2B, which is business-to-business communications. And I think so many people think that it's it's only for B2C. You know, we see people like Starbucks posting, Walmart, um, you know, the, the people who really are reaching directly to consumers. So why do you focus on B2B communications? Well, it's an exciting place to be, especially with social media. You know, mm-hmm. to your point, there's not a lot being evangelized in the press and media about right. business to business social mm-hmm. media. And part of that reason is because the initiatives that business to business organizations undertake with social tend to be very, very strategic and even within their confidential wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. So that really suggests that not dissimilar from business to consumer, but in very different ways. They're grappling with customer intimacy and complex business problems. Mm -hmm. And one of the most interesting bits about B2B social media is because social media is really a super place to help stakeholders deal with evergreen issues. 
mm-hmm. and those are usually found in the B2B decision-making. You know, a $2 million customer thinking about a product or a service really has a big decision to make and right. a very complex work environment. Mm-hmm. And by bringing people together, listening, collaborating, and all those wonderful things that social media and social business are great at, it play out in powerful ways when you connect people digitally. Right. Well, and, you know, one of the things that I love about what you talk about, and I was reading several of your blog posts on your your website, is the fact that we have to build communities. So talk more about that concept. Okay. Well, let me start out by explaining what online communities are, or at least what they mean to me. Because it's sort of like world peace. Everyone thinks communities are a great idea, but it means something entirely mm-hmm. different to, you know, whomever you're speaking about, mm-hmm. speaking to. So, to me, online communities are collaborative spaces where people can exchange ideas, engage in thought leadership, share their profiles, and really think through topics collaboratively. Mm-hmm. It's not really in the B2B world, uh, woohoo, I made a Facebook page overnight, but these are strategic initiatives that often also use a platform in order to uh, have a collaboration. And one of the most unique things about B2B communities in particular is that the identity of the participants are well known. You can't right. be fancy pants doctor 241 and expect mm-hmm. your peers to respect or understand perhaps your diagnosis or recommendations in a medical community, for example. You really have mm-hmm. to have your credentials and identity up front. Right. Well, and you know what what I find so appealing about that is the fact that it is that person, you know, whether it's the head of Zappos or um you know the the CEO of, you know, a big corporation, you know, all those various things. And and so they're talking with those thought leaders and those decision makers. Um you know, it's not the the website that's posted and you know all those various things. They really are communicating right with those people. And I think that's what makes it so important is if it is, you know, the, the, the post is coming from you, know, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or, or LinkedIn, from the CEO of, you know, X company, it really has to be the CEO of that company. It can't be, you know, the little person who's down the hall who's posting on their behalf. Do you find that that's important? Absolutely. I mean, it's not uncommon for executives in broader communities because they're they're different types of communities. There's communities for professional collaboration, and those tend mm-hmm. to be tight, small, and gated with a right. high degree of, of collaboration. Then there's broader communities such as customer mm-hmm. care initiatives mm-hmm. or support communities. But in either event, even if the executive has someone to help prepare some of the thought leadership or perspectives, it, it really has to be that individual who um, participates at least to some, you know, strong degree. Right. And, and there are a number of reasons why, and the reason for that is because communities have, do have a really meaningful impact on the organization when they're done well. And a couple of years ago, actually, it, there was a lack of case studies and information about why companies build online communities. We were heading down this path, you know, not dissimilar to the web in the early days of, you mm-hmm. know, we need to get us one of them communities because everyone else has one. <laughs> right. You know, but why? I don't know. You know, get me one of them webs, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I embarked on a 
study to really examine uh, the reasons why companies build online communities. What value are they getting? What are the returns? Why are they doing it? And using both our customers, our clients, as well as outside best practice communities, we came up with six reasons why companies have built and re- returns, ROI, on communities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to briefly share with them, the first one was to help customers get more value from the products and services. You find, especially in, you know, large complex products and services, buyers often don't understand the full breadth of what they've purchased. Ah. And through communities and seeing other customer experiences, practices, mm-hmm. ideas, they're able to get more understanding, a greater understanding of what, what they just purchased. Okay. Another big one wound up being to develop new products and services. You know, when you get a group of customers or partners or even employees together, you know, depending on whether it's a, a public community or an internet, mm-hmm. You get good ideas because people right. are intrinsically quite smart. And um, mm-hmm. a number of organizations use communities to get ahead of the curve and surface new products and service ideas before, um, before the trend has a need really bubbles to the forefront. It's proactive. Um, you know, there's the obvious one of reducing the cost of post-sales service. That's the customer mm-hmm. service one. But a number of organizations find that they complement, not replace, but complement their customer service, phone uh-huh. support, and on-site mm-hmm. with communities. And then other organizations use them more in the social media space to sell mm-hmm. and market more effectively and even to get control, if you, there could be such a thing, of the social media conversations. It's the idea that your customers are, are going to be talking about you anyway. Right. Might as well bring them into your house and give them a cup mm-hmm. of tea. Mm-hmm. Well, and make them feel welcome. I love that. You know, give them a cup of tea. Because how many times have we seen when someone has posted something on somebody's social media page and it's either ignored or, you know, maybe they didn't have a good experience. And so they're wanting to provide feedback, to vent, to, you know, to do some things. And so then they're treated badly. You know, I always tell people, be that good host. You know, if somebody says, hey, you know, you need to think about this, if they're taking the time to provide that input and those comments, then take the time to listen to them. Now, it might not be possible. Might, you might not agree with it. But, you know, more than anything, they just want to, you want to acknowledge that, you know, hey, thanks for, for providing that input. And you raise a really good point, Deb. You know, as you sort of came upon the idea of crisis communications and even communications mm-hmm. with dissatisfied customers. Right. Um, so often, executives are a little tentative about these collaborative environments, the idea of engaging with customers in a public way, because what if they say something bad about us mm-hmm. or so on and so forth. But in communities that are well-run and have vibrancy, mm-hmm. oftentimes not only is the organization able to turn the conversation around by showing a responsiveness, but it's not uncommon for other customers or partners to jump in and right. sometimes defend the organization or mm-hmm. add color to um, the positive sides of the experience. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and that, and that carries so way. much more weight or clout, you know, if, if, you know, if I say, oh, you know, hey, thanks for providing me with that great input, yada, 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 yeah. But if somebody else jumps in and says, hey, you know, that was a, we've been to that restaurant numerous times and they have great service or, you know, it's a, it's a terrific product. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, uh, like some of the online communities for cars. You know, where you had initially mentioned that people don't always know that the services that are there. You know, when somebody else says, Oh, have you tried this way cool feature of this new car, this new product, this new service, this new whatever it is, that is so much better in many cases than the company saying, Hey, have you tried this? You know, it's, it's kind of that third party endorsement that we all know is so very valuable. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, just to bring a, an example to mind, because examples always bring things to the surface of right. reality. Uh, for example, you know, Palladium Group, which is uh, the founders of the Balance Scorecard, you know, quite mm-hmm. famous management system, they run an, an exquisite online community with their top strategy professionals. Some are clients and some are not. And mm-hmm. in the course of the community, it's about five years old now, a number of the strategy professionals, and that's a lonely job. You know, there's usually only a couple, even in the largest right. organization. Mm-hmm. So they depend on each other a lot. They went back and said, we love this balanced scorecard. We love this performance management system. However, we see a gap. We see an opportunity to include mm. more risk metrics and more information about managing mm-hmm. risk. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know it, the latest book that came out from the Palladium Group included a whole chapter on risk management complete with case studies and quotes and information from some of those members who were using it in those types of ways. Perfect. Well, and and then, of course, they become the evangelists, you know, for that book. Oh, hey, you know, they just wrote about me in this book and, you know, (laughs) all of those things. And, you know, it's always good to include those real life examples. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, you, you mentioned one of the things before is, is that fear. You know, CEOs and, you know, and then you get the lawyers involved and, oh, you know, um, or, or the CFO or, or whoever, you know, they don't always want to get that customer feedback, positive and negative, for a variety of reasons. And, you know, the, the thing that you mentioned that really hits home to me is people are talking about you anyway. Why not be part of that conversation? Yes, absolutely. But one of the critical success factors, now that that is just starting to come on the forefront of best practices, because remember, this industry is quite new, right. and we don't have a lot of processes and best practices to rely on, mm-hmm. but now organizations are turning their eye towards more effective use of the insights gathered through the social channel. We had a disconnect. Mm -hmm. I call it the social media muddle, where social media or online communities, marketing was out there, you know, interacting with customers and partners Mm -hmm. and getting all this great information, but they didn't have the business processes in place to bring that information and those insights back to R&D, back to product Uh development or customer Mm -hmm. support so that they could, on on a predictive and proactive way, integrate that which was useful or potentially at least explore some of the ideas. But mm-hmm. that, 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 that breakdown is starting um, to come together now, and we're seeing more um, larger organizations get their processes, um, their ducks in a row, so that they can mm-hmm. do it a lot more effectively. How do they even start that process? You know, they, they, you know, they know ugh, we need to be doing it, but 
they they don't have a clue as to how to start. So what do you tell a company who comes to you and says, okay, Vanessa, we know we need to build a community, but we don't know where to start? Uh, okay. Um, you know, it all starts in real life. Um, the social business or the community initiative needs to be aligned or in support of the functional organization. And so it doesn't okay. become a redheaded stepsister on the side. Mm-hmm. So what I always recommend is really taking a look at the business strategy. What does the organization or the functional uh, division want or need to accomplish within the year? Now let's mm-hmm. look at the ways the community can support or accelerate one of those or of a limited but meaningful needs. So the, it really needs to be aligned with the, the in, you know, the, the functional organization and really okay. rooted in what problems do they need to solve? What are some of the obstacles they're facing mm-hmm. in the way that normal, you know, traditional business is taking place and where can, where can community accelerate it? And if you can hone into the points of pain and validate it with the customers or the, the audience you're trying to serve, so we believe this is, you know, maybe we need to streamline this or maybe we need to reach a different audience or, you know, what have you, or maybe we need to develop products or services faster. Then um, from there you can bespoke a whole initiative around it, understand who mm-hmm. you need to serve, identify um, core offerings, because communities are reciprocal. You need to give and get. What do you have right. to give and what do you want to get? And then how are you going to measure success? Mm-hmm. Um, based on realistic measures and that are rooted in business and not just, you know, we have this many followers or this many, you know, you, you mm-hmm. can't count that, only that which you can count. You really have to examine for b- business process improvement or the, you know, top-line growth. Right. Yeah, you know, we see so many times where somebody says, oh, I have your know, 10,000 people who like our Facebook page and 20,000 people who follow us on Twitter. But if that's not the right people, you know, maybe 10 is actually their better sweet spot because it's 10 who, you know, are going to make those purchasing decisions or, or something like that. And, and so I think, you know, really knowing who your target audience is and who you need to reach is far more important than just the numbers. Yes, and it's, it comes all down to the developing a strong business case to examine the rationale. You know, mm-hmm. is it for customer service or advancing partner programs or whatever? And from there, you can examine the audience you want to serve and figure out how to do it operationally. But mm-hmm. it's not uncommon, you know, as we talked about a little earlier, the idea to sort of want one just because they're cool to have or because so, you know, right. a different organization or a competitor has a success, but not invest in establishing that mm-hmm. line of business, business case to right. look at the impact on the organization. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's knowing... You know, it's having those those goals and those strategies in mind and then knowing the tools. So, you know, maybe your business wouldn't really benefit from having a Facebook page. But having a closed Facebook group where you've got that small community or a LinkedIn group or, you know, all of those various things, that's where I think people kind of falter is they, they don't drill down far enough to really figure out how to best utilize those tools. That's a powerful example. Yeah, exactly. You have to match your tool to your intention. That's right. 
Well, and you know, it's it's so important. You know, you've we've we've touched on it to have that seat at the table. You know, with your social. Um, you know, I've been in marketing and PR for many years, and you know, a lot of companies. You know, PR is oh, you know, they're the redheaded stepchild, or sales doesn't really remember to talk to marketing, or you know, all of those various things. It's so important to have everybody thinking on the same process. And and you know, I say that whether it's a company of ten thousand people. Or a company of one. You know, your social media efforts shouldn't just be the, ugh, I really need to make a post on social media today. It needs to be part of your strategy. And your point about smaller or mid-sized organizations is very powerful. It's not, you know, I've seen a number of smaller organizations leapfrog the competition, larger organizations, because they use their tools and their processes to engage so strategically and so thoughtfully right. because on the internet you really can't tell what size an organization is mm-hmm. and you can show responsiveness you can engage in meaningful ways perhaps differently or better than some of the mm-hmm. larger companies definitely yeah you know because you don't have to have the lawyer approve it or you don't have right. to go through that that whole sales process of of you know you've got the one or two people that need to look at it and say, hey, that's what we're going to post today, or, ooh, this is how we're going to respond to this, and, you know, things like that. Well, we are already at a point where we need to take a break, and so when we come back, Vanessa, let's talk about, you know, why some of this doesn't always work, and, and what happens if communities fail, you know, how, how things can go wrong. So I am Deb Creer talking with Vanessa DeMauro on Mile High Radio, and we'll be back in just a couple of moments. Thank you for being a friend Travel down a road and back again Your heart is true, you're a pal and a confidant Yep, here's your problem. You haven't been listening to MileHighRadio.com. Real life isn't like TV. Bad guys don't read scripts. When a crisis occurs, only solid training will be enough to potentially save your life and the life of your family. At Duty to Act, owned and operated by Navy SEAL Jimmy Graham, our focus is to make sure you have all the training you need to be the first and last line of defense against unwanted intruders. Duty to Act is a professional defense company that offers the best training in the world to prepare individuals to protect themselves and their family members against real-world threats of today. The Close Quarters Defense System is the world's best and most proven real-world defense system. Its foundation has been taught to our nation's most elite operators for the past two decades. Other classes we offer are active shooter response, home defense, women's defense, and more. Now, it's your turn. To find out more or to sign up for classes, find us online at dutytoact.com. That's dutytoact.com. Or call 720-644-7552. Remember, the life you save may be your own. Hi, Chris here from Yabana Gluten-Free Bakery. Do you get gas, bloating, cramping, or worse when you eat items with wheat, barley, or rye? You may be dealing with celiac, gluten intolerance, or a gluten allergy. Experts estimate that up to 40% of us need to avoid gluten. At Yambana, we bake the best-tasting gluten-free items hands down. For two years, I've been perfecting our recipes to be tasty and moist instead of dry and crumbly. 
We use nothing artificial, and we ELISA test our products to be sure they're truly gluten-free. So no matter if you're a super-sensitive celiac or someone who feels better staying away from gluten, stop tooting your gluten and visit our online store today. Go to yumbanashop.com. That's Y-U-M-B-A-N-A-S-H-O-P-P-E.com. We ship worldwide, and if you live in the Castle Rock area of Colorado, delivery is free. Save 10% when you enter the coupon code MILEHIGHRADIO. Yumbanashop.com. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. Welcome back. Welcome back. I am Deb Creer, and I'm having a great time talking with Vanessa DeMauro about building communities so that businesses, especially B2B, can really reach out and cultivate relationships with people. But before we go on, Vanessa, tell people how they can find you and connect with you online. Oh, thank you, Deb. Um, my name is Vanessa DeMauro. I can be found on the Leader Networks with an S, uh, .com site, and I have a fantastic blog Building Online Communities for Business, cleverly named, and, of course, on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Great, great. You know, and, and I'd mentioned earlier in the program some of your blog posts. You know, typically that's what I do is I go back and, and I read, uh, you know, I look at, at the website of the people that I'm going to be talking with. And, Vanessa, you had some fabulous blog posts that really talked about the importance of building these communities. And so that's what we're really going to focus on. So, you know, you've, we've been kind of talking about how they're new. You have to have strategies. You have to really be in the right place. But what happens if things don't go well? Why do communities fail? Yeah, and unfortunately, it is not uncommon for communities not to go well. It's sort of a binary outcome. They either thrive fantastically mm-hmm. or limp along. And it, very rarely is it that middle ground. Mm-hmm. Actually, I just saw a statistic recently. It used to be um, Gardner used to predict that 70% would fail, but they're a little higher re- recently. But wow. they've also, uh, but Forrester, meanwhile, and, and Gartner as well, has also focused in on some of the returns and ROI and the biggest lift organizations are seeing, you know, in the millions, if not higher in terms of returns is mm-hmm. community's impact on customer satisfaction. So there's, oh. there's a real need to get this right, you know, mm-hmm. um, it can, because it translates into real top line growth. But when communities falter, it's usually for a couple of operational reasons, easily fixed or mm-hmm. somewhat easily fixed, but pretty, pretty common. So the first one Comes, that comes to mind is that the business goals don't match the community intentions. We talked a okay. little bit about reciprocity, but simply put, organizations are too focused on the get and not focused enough on the give. Ah. And they need to serve the members and the business in order to be meaningful. Because without members, you don't have a community, right? Mm-hmm. So either right. they don't validate their business plan um, or they don't listen to the members in the building process, and they don't give them what they want. Mm-hmm. Another common one that I see very frequently 
especially with larger organizations, is they build mausoleums instead of Sherpa tents. You know what a Sherpa tent is? No. When you go up a Himalayan mountain or a large uh, Mm -hmm. mountain climb, you know, it can often take days, if not weeks. So Sherpa Mm -hmm. tents, they they set a goal, we're going to go up this high, and then they configure these collapsible tents, and everyone spends the night, they rest, they plan their strategy for the next day, and they go Ah. up a little higher. And, you know, it's a progressive build. Mm -hmm. And because well-designed communities with the members' input and collaboration, you can't plan for five years from now. You need to right. get it off the ground with their help and then help them let it steer you on where you need to go next. Mm-hmm. At the end of the mountain, at the end of the climb, the community is taken over in you know strategic ways and in directional ways by the members. They're saying, we need more of this, or can you tell us about that, or can you add this? And that's powerful stuff. That's what you want. Right. Well, and you know, one of the things that you've mentioned that you mentioned in one of your blog posts is is to rethink, you know, only plan for about 90 days at a time. And I love that concept because, you know, even thinking six months out, things change a lot, especially in, in the scope of, of social media. So only doing 90 days and then evaluating. You know, it's it's taking off. Maybe it's it's better bite-sized chunks as opposed to where do we want to be five years from now? Um, thinking, okay, you know, how how can I get to from here to to ninety days? And and when you do that, you recognize that it is much smaller steps. You know, you're you're as you mentioned, you're, you're putting up that smaller tent as opposed to trying to build the entire building in the first process. Absolutely. You need to know if you're getting, you know, to the top of the mountain, but it forces you to think about the operational details that mean so much in order mm-hmm. to develop the best practices for scalability. Right. And then some, some of the other uh, contributors to less successful communities are really about human-human processes. Mm-hmm. Either they lack strong executive sponsorship. There's no one within the organization of a very senior and visible level that is willing to carry that flag and say, follow right. me, this is, you know, this is important, this is innovative, and we're going to get there, and here's mm-hmm. how. So typically, most successful communities I've built and I've seen have that visible executive who you know, is able to evangelize and support, so public-facing mm-hmm. and internally. Right. And then the most common one is not investing in appropriate community management skills. We're still at a day and age where community and even social media at large is thought of as something that, you know, you wrestle up the leftover staff or the girl who's on the bench and say, hey, you, you're, you know, a millennial, do this. Right. But you wouldn't have her lead a conversation or run a workshop in front of your top mm-hmm. clients. That person should not be in charge of this strategic, right. important, customer-facing initiative. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where we see missteps. Um, there was one a couple weeks ago where a company, and, and I honestly don't remember the name of the company, but they they had a millennial or maybe even younger posting on their their various social media sites and and. The, the photo that she chose for fireworks was actually of the, the space shuttle Challenger exploding. And she didn't know what that was. She just thought, oh, hey, cool picture. 
And, oh, you know, needless to say, that backfired. Um, now, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not saying that millennials or younger or people don't know what's going on in the world. But, you know, we all have to remember maybe to do our research. Um, but that's where having those senior level people kind of guiding this and taking the, the helm of it should help in that process. Absolutely. And not to pick on millennials, you can be very experienced in another discipline. Right and just not have the mm-hmm. skills to run a community. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the young. It can be experienced people without the skill set right. as well. Right. Well, and the young, the, the nice thing about them is they do know more about what's out there. Um, you know, but we shouldn't get caught up in, oh, we have to be on Instagram, or, oh, we have to be our here. Oh, you know, it's, it is part of that strategic process. And, and that's where it kind of helps maybe to have that team of, you know, people who, you know, know what's going on um, with the new strategies and tactics, and and then you've got the the senior, and and to me, maybe that's the whole concept of the community. You know, maybe it's not someone internal who's helping. Maybe that one of you know some of your best community people are people who don't work for you. That's right, and you know, to your point about this collaborative lens, we're seeing a real rise in social business centers of excellence where it's not just led by marketing and not or not just led by IT or what have you. Mm-hmm. It, there's obviously a leader. Every initiative needs a leader, but there's a group of stakeholders who come together with their needs, capabilities, and requests, mm-hmm. and that makes it very um, sort of 360 in its lens of becoming right. a responsive organization because when mm-hmm. you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So if you're you know in one part of the organization – you're always going to have that particular focus, be it marketing or technology, what have you. But the social media roundtables or social business COEs help take the edges off the linear thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you used a term just now that maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with because we're used to social networking and social media. But what exactly is social business? Oh, I'm glad you asked that because this is a, a bailiwick of mine lately. Um, we tend to use social media, social media marketing, social business, all these terms interchangeably. Mm-hmm. And in reality, they're very different. And if you'll indulge me just for a second, just to sort of break down the different sure. pieces of the, the sort of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So social media, and the, you know, this is according to Deloitte. They did a fantastic study uh, about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they looked at social media social uh, and social business. Social media is really the spaces where we interact with one another over the web. It can be public, private, semi-private spaces. It can be Twitter. It can be community. It can be anything. Social media marketing is the use of the social media spaces for marketing. See, we're getting a little okay. lumped up in thinking of the tools as the processes. Right. Social media are the tools and Social marketing represents the processes of enacting those tools. Mm-hmm. And laying atop all of that is really social business, and that's using these collaborative processes that are made possible by the tools to make improvements to the business, like faster time to market because of active listening or new mm-hmm. products and all those things that we talked about. So it's when an organization strategically and operationally uses the insights that they then are enacting social business activities. Right. So there's tools, there's processes, and then there's impact. 
Well, and I think you know what what you're saying is so very critical because so many companies, and maybe this is why they fail, they don't take that final step and they don't really see that social business. It's, hey, we're going to use these tools and they might actually take the time to figure out which tools they should be using and where they need to be. And then they, you know, at, you know, they start doing their marketing messages, but they don't see it as part of that overall business strategy. Yeah, it, funny you should say that. And I keep coming back to research. I'm a researcher by trade, so uh, you know, everything that I think about or really help formulate is rooted in research. But mm-hmm. Leader Networks, we run um, an annual research initiative called the Social Business Benchmark. And we've been doing this about three years now. Mm-hmm. We intentionally don't call it um, a maturity model because maturity models assume that everybody needs to be up and to the right. Okay. And that's not the case with social. You know, mm-hmm. take Raytheon, for example. The day we crowdsource airplane engines is the day we're all going to die. Like, we don't want to <laughs> be there, right? Right, right. <laughs> so it, there isn't any, you know, necess- decontextualized end stage. But every mm-hmm. year we survey organizations. I think I'm up to 380 organizations. Many people wow. participate and look at the stages mm-hmm. of their social marketing and social business. And we found that, and so the three, the four stages are familiar, present, enabled, and integrated. Familiar is basically, in a nutshell, experimenting unofficially. Present okay. is really where it becomes an informal part of marketing, and they mm-hmm. start to get policies and procedures and things about it. Enabled is when they start to scale, like developing a social business COE or 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 set metrics, or they decide on listening tools, and then integrated is really the responsive organization. Mm-hmm. You know where everything, like um, Zappos, is a perfect example of an integrated organization. Right. And we're finding that most organizations are really hovering in the present to the beginning stages of enabled. Mm-hmm. And where they're really getting stuck is on um, operationalizing their so or executing their social strategy well. So about 52% differentiate social media marketing from social business. So that's great. People are starting to see the C's part and say these are related but not one and the same. Mm-hmm. But only 50% believe that they have a strategy that guides their social media activities. Oh. And even much, much fewer, um, it was under 30% report that their strategy is being well executed. So mm-hmm. among those that, have, that believe their organization has a vision, there's still bumps in the road. Right. But we're getting there, right? Well, and, you know, you, you mentioned the key word in that strategy. You know, it's not thinking, you know, what are we going to post today? You should already know what you're going to post today. Um, you know, I, I tell businesses one of the things to think of is maybe creating an editorial calendar. You know, I'm, I'm that old PR person that, you know, I, I know what those are. And so, you know, on Monday, you're going to post a frequently asked question. On Tuesday, you're going to post a new product in development or, you know, all these various things. And, and then it makes it much easier to have those posts, you know, because you can develop, say, 50 frequently asked questions and then you've got, you know, all of those already taken care of. And and to me that's where I see people fail is they don't plan ahead. Um, you know, and and so they they really aren't thinking about Monday is is this type of post. It's I have to post on Monday. What the heck am I going to post? 
And on your blog, you also, I saw a while back one of your blog posts where you also brought it to the next level and, you know, put out basically a call to action to really think about and why are you doing this? What do you hope to achieve Mm -hmm. from this? Mm -hmm. Um, It's not doing for doing sake. It needs to Mm -hmm. be connected to an outcome. Right. Well, and that's where, you know, as we mentioned before, being part of that, the, the team and having the seat at the table really is so important because, you know, what you're posting on social media should be driving people to your website. Um, you know, I cringe every time somebody says, I'm not going to have a website, I'm just going to have a Facebook page because that, that really is destined to fail. But, you know, that's, that's all in that measurement. You know, if you have driven people to the website or to call the salesperson or to take whatever action it is, you know, then you have those goals. And it's not that you're just all operating in a silo. And I think that's where companies in general fail, where they do have the silos. They've got the salespeople who don't talk to the marketing people, who don't talk to the R&D, and heaven forbid that any of them actually talk to the customer. Um, so yeah. it, it really is this whole big process, and it comes back to exactly what we were saying at the start. It's the community. You know, it's getting that input from everyone. Do you pay attention to all of it? No. I mean, you know, we've all been in, in meetings where somebody pipes up and says, hey, what about? And we think, ooh. But, you know, it, it also helps you to start thinking. You know, if one person makes a suggestion about, say, a, a new product feature, there's not just one person who's thinking about that. You know, there's no unique type of, of things now. So maybe it is something that you need to start considering. Right, and you can explore it and and, and validate it in an offline setting, right? Those 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 walls don't need to exist. You can get an idea offline, online, and then mm-hmm. go out to a customer panel to see if there's any meat on those mm-hmm. bones. Or similarly, you know, customer events are fantastic, but everyone is always a little sad the Monday after when their connections and their network is gone and they're back at their desk mm-hmm. alone right. again. And it helps create those spots in time. Mm-hmm. So that flow needs to exist off and online. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, it, it really does. I mean, I, we can't emphasize it enough. It is that community process. Um, you know, it's not that you go to the trade show and you never talk to those people again. Or, you know, you go to that business networking meeting and you never talk to those people again. It is about really reaching out to them, you know, whether it's offline, online, phone, social media, email, whatever, you know, it, it really is about working with all of these other people. That's right. Great, great. And I think that's, oh, I was just going to oh, add that social really helps tap into different personalities and personas, too. It, it mm-hmm. gives voice to maybe a shy or reticent um, customer or partner and, you know, really allows also to get aggregate views as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we're going to take another quick break. Um, and when we come back, you mentioned that you do a lot of research. Um, so I want to find out what you think might be changing, what might be coming down the road, um, you know, some of these new things, because, you know, it is an ever-changing landscape. So when we come back, let's talk about that. I am Deb Creer talking with Vanessa DeMauro on Mile High Radio. For being a friend, travel down a road and back again. Your heart is true, you're a pal and a confidant. More stimulating talk radio. MileHighRadio.com. 
Hey listeners, are you tired of looking tired? It's time to get refreshed at Denver Integrated Plastic Surgery, where Dr. Ben Lee is offering listeners $9 per unit for Botox, and also $100 off all laser resurfacing that helps reduce fine lines and wrinkles, and is the only procedure scientifically proven to reverse the signs of aging. Mention this radio ad when you call Denver Integrated Plastic Surgery at 303-783-9997 and receive your $100 off laser resurfacing or $9 per unit Botox. Denver Integrated Plastic Surgery. Aesthetics from the inside out performance apparel is south metro denver's premier corporate and athletic apparel store we're your one-stop shop for creating a personal yet professional look for you and your organization we can assist you in outfitting your corporate team baseball team lacrosse team soccer team hockey team football team or any other team you're involved with our goal is to outfit your team for success we offer in-house full-service embroidery, a state-of-the-art banner and sign maker, screen printing, a graphic designer, vinyl and heat press letter logos, tackle twill, sew on lettering, leather jackets, hats, shirts, and other corporate imaging. Learn just why we've been chosen to be the official corporate image consultant and provider for MileHighRadio.com by clicking on the banner ad on their website. Remember the name in South Metro Denver. It's Performance Apparel. Great shows, great music. MileHighRadio.com. What are you listening to? She packed my bags last night. We flight. And we are back. I am Deb Creer, and I'm speaking with Vanessa DeMauro, who is the CEO of Leader Networks, and you can find her at leadernetworks.com. Um, so before the break, we started to talk about the fact that Vanessa does a lot of research, and I love that because there's so much that's going on out there. It's funny, the, the last couple of times I've been on Facebook, somebody has posted, what do you see in the next five years for social media? Um, you know, and, and so in your research, what do you see coming up in, in the world? Well, we've been doing, um, we being um, my research partners and I, I'm on a member and on the board of the Society for New Communications Research. Uh-huh. And we, we get a bunch of researchers together, and that an acronym smell, spells snicker because, you know, big humor. <laughs> and we've been very active for a number of years, the organization, and really taking a bite out of the best practices and really trying to advance the industry because there's a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, stuff being made up in our industry. Right. There's a lot mm-hmm. of pundits and things that aren't rooted in, in fact and data. Mm-hmm. So for the past few years, my colleague Don Balmer, um, Peter Auditori, and I have taken on a set of progressive uh, research studies. The ah. first, and they can all be downloaded from my SlideShare account, Vanessa DeMar on SlideShare. Okay. And just to fly over just one or two of the hot findings from each of them, the first one we did was the new symbiosis of professional networks. Mm-hmm. And we looked at how professionals were using social networking to enable decision-making. And we found two really interesting things. We found a lot of interesting things, but the mm-hmm. two that I was going to mention was that we were surprised that 80% of participants say that they belong and actively participate in communities for the sole reason of a desire to help another person. Ah, There's that genuine desire, interest, and need mm-hmm. to do a good deed. I have information that can help you. I'm going to give it to you for that mm-hmm. purpose. And we thought that was really 
outstanding because mm-hmm. you have the sense that you know communities are for for the good, but it was a good validation. Mm-hmm. And then the other one that we found that was really interesting, we triple checked these data like 500 times because like, oh, that can't be right, but mm-hmm. it was in fact right, is when we looked at social media and um, use of professional networking and social media practices across uh, millennials, middle management, and executive decision makers, mm-hmm. we found there was a comfort, competency, and interest and value drive, you know, people were getting derivative value um, across the board, but it was middle management that was the biggest roadblock. Ah. Um, Not the executives. The executives found purpose because they needed to transcend time and space. I need to find an expert in X, Y, or Z, Mm -hmm. and I can't just look at who's in these walls, but he might be in India, she might be in, you know, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And so they were very skilled and comfortable, but middle management found that learning new rules of engagement, learning new tools with their busy play, you know, home and family was mm-hmm. had the potential to change their work, and they were the least comfortable with social. Hmm. You yeah, know, and that, and that makes sense because, you know, and not, and not to knock on, on middle management because we've all been there, but... It, it, they tend to be the people who, in a lot of cases, get the most dumped on them. You know, the, the C-level and the, the executives know that it needs to be done, so they pass it down to middle management. And then middle the, the people beneath middle management are looking to middle management for their direction and, and for their support. Um, so it, it really does kind of make sense that middle management is, the, you know, the, the um, hesitation point. Yeah, no, it, it was it, it was surprising to us, but it it was definitely you know for all the points that you mentioned, absolutely the case. And from that study, that a uh, year and a half ago, we then did the social mind study, mm-hmm. and this study was really to look at the impact of collaboration and information sharing on the social channels. Mm-hmm. And the big finding we came out of the social mind study was is that there's a shift in information flow. And that traditional media is no longer the authoritative source of information. Right. People were supplementing their learning with traditional media, but mm-hmm. were doing a lot of their buyer decision making, um, not by what a company or the press or media told them about an organization, but from the peer experience and mm-hmm. customer testimonials and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So that was um, one of the big findings out of that. And the other one was the rise of the online expert. Ah. So because we spend so much time, for better or for worse, at our desk, micro mm-hmm. specialties are emerging. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can now use the Internet to find exactly the guy who knows this, that, or the other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking, I know a lot about specifically B2B online communities. Mm-hmm. We might have never met in real life. Um, but the role of the online expert is definitely rising, and um, the, people are developing these micro-specialties and gaining authority and validity um, from their mm-hmm. ability to share online and then now right. we're in the middle of a study called um, the social consumer. We don't have the results yet for that one. Mm-hmm. But with that study, we're looking at um, whether social, corporate social responsibility is influencing consumer behavior, and if so, how. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and, you know, it's, it's interesting when you talk about the fact that, you know, we've got those, these online experts and, and they're the, you know, the, the true little micro type of, of people. What, you know, we talked about the fact that social media really kind of leveled the playing field. It's also done it because of, you know, this, this whole micro thing. I was looking up something the other day on, um, you know, how to, I was wanting to program something on WordPress and I found a, a widget that I wanted to use and a plugin. And so I'm, you know, getting ready to use it. And, and this person had absolutely fabulous documentation. You know, they, they had a video that went along with it, you know, all of these various things. And then it, he said, you know, I don't make money at this because I'm in high school. So if you want to supplement my allowance, here's how to contribute. He had tips that would have, you know, wow. it wouldn't have surprised me if it had come from somebody who had been in the industry for many, many years. But he knew exactly what he was talking about in that finite little area. And I just thought it was cute that he wanted us to supplement his allowance. Um, but it truly has done exactly what you said. You know, there are those micro experts out there who you can get down to, you know, you need just X. They know X. They're not going to talk to you about Y. They're not going to talk to you about C. They're going to talk to you about X. And the impact on it in employment is profound. I bet that kid's going to get a job right out of high school because mm-hmm. some organization is going to be like, you're oh, the one we want. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and or they won't hire him as an employee. They'll get him as a consultant. Um, you know, and, and I think that's mm-hmm. where the the whole business model is changing and it is because you know the, of this huge online world you know why do you need to hire somebody as a full-time employee when you just need two or three hours worth of their time and you found them on facebook or you looked at their youtube video or whatever right now that that's an excellent point and you know, there was a recent report that just came out uh today that looked at how there's a shift in the economic nature of of business and mm-hmm. specialists are being brought in for the voodoo they do, um, mm-hmm. and no longer is the generalist as in high demand as a sort of a cadre of specialists because the the information is so deep within those individuals that they get best of breed without right. having fully burdened salaries. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think it's it's an interesting concept for people to become that micro expert, um, you know, and, and yeah, it's a little bit scary to think, oh, I'm not going to have benefits. I'm not going to have this. I'm not going to have that. But if you can make it work, it's, it really is something that I see a lot of people being very successful at. That's right. Great. So, you know, we, we digress there a little bit. What research do you have coming up? Um, you know, what are you looking into in the, in the future and what projects do you have planned? Oh, yes, thank you. I, yeah, I started to say, but we wound up on an important tangent. Uh, the one within the next month or so, Don Bomer and I will be releasing the findings of the social consumer. Mm-hmm. And that mm. study we're really excited about. I bet. We're looking at the, we're intrigued by the impact corporate social responsibility is having on consumer behaviors. Mm-hmm. When organizations make a social investment, does that influence consumers' desire or preference to do business or affiliate with that brand? Ah. And how highly does that weigh in, weigh in on establishing trust and loyalty? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's our new study. So we're looking at the impact of certain rewards on customers' digital behavior and 
also examining for brands what are the best practices and the preferences that consumers have shared their voice with us regarding corporate social responsibility so that they can really understand what's expected of them to be a digitally mm-hmm. engaged brand. Great. You know, can you can you give us some an you know any any findings in advance or do we need to wait for you know for that to come out? We've got the um, sausage being made currently. We've got spread <laughs> sheets everywhere. But the one big finding that we had in this idea of um, demographics has pervaded much of our conversation. Mm-hmm. And we went into this assuming that um, millennials would generally be more likely to align with a brand that mm-hmm. had showed corporate social responsibility. Mm-hmm. But what we're finding uh, is that it's more gender-based, defying ah. of all ages. Females mm-hmm. um, of all ages tend to care more deeply mm-hmm. about um, organizations that uh, take an active role in corporate social responsibilities than males. But mm-hmm. that's, as far, that's, that's our big aha. That's, that's a spoiler alert. Mm, right. <laughs> There's more to come. Well, and, and I love the fact that Consumers care about corporate uh, responsibility and, and things like that. I was talking with a CPA firm last week. And, of course, you know, your your concept of the CPA is, you know, these button-down people in their suits that just push numbers around and, you know, they, they don't do anything extra. And on when I was looking on their website, they were talking about their baseball team. And, you know, which that's not really corporate responsibility, but then they were talking about all of the various things that they do to give back to the community. Um, and, you know, when I met with them, I told them how important I thought that was because, you know, we, we make our impulse decisions and, and we go and we, you know, buy whatever at the, at the grocery store. But when we're wanting to develop a long-term relationship with somebody like a CPA, like an attorney, like a financial planner, you know, somebody that hopefully years from now we'll still be working with, you really do care about their corporate responsibility. Are they a company that cares about recycling or, you know, building houses for the homeless or, you know, all of those various things? And I love that the CPA firm was uh, already thinking about that, and it was a huge part of their company. Right. You know, it certainly is inspirational to want to do business with organizations that have a global or corporate responsibility lens. It makes Great. a difference. Perfect. Well, Vanessa, we are already out of time. <laughs> um, but tell people how they connect with you, especially so they can get a copy of your, your report when it comes out. Absolutely. And um, I'm on LinkedIn at, as Vanessa tomorrow. My mm-hmm. website is leadernetworks.com along with my blog and um, on SlideShare we have fabulous data and a lot of um, best practices and presentations up there and I'm completely approachable to talk about B2B online communities. I'm a community builder after all so feel free to reach out and I will respond. Perfect, perfect. Well, thank you so much. You provided so much good information for people, whether they're just starting out or they're kind of in the middle or they've fully ensconced themselves in in social media and social business. So thank you again, Vanessa. Um, And everyone, have a great week, and we will talk with you next week. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>